0: Hey, welcome tonight to Hope at Night. Uh, My name is Cameron, one of the pastors here. Uh, My name is not Kanishka Raphael, so uh, don't get us confused. I know some people do, but uh, let me pray for us as we come to this passage. Uh, God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us. We pray that we might indeed receive this word tonight as your word, that you have spoken to us. And may you impress the great truths of this passage upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we, we have just prayed just then, giving thanks to God for his word, praying that he might speak to us. And you're like, to be honest though, I don't know if you've been like me sometimes and you've just read that passage then or another time. You've ever had this experience, right? You you open up Matthew chapter one. Maybe you've been keen to finally start reading the Bible. You wanna break that habit. You wanna read it in again. You're like, okay, I'm gonna start the New Testament. I'm gonna start with Matthew's gospel. Let's get ready, let's do it. We'll open up Matthew chapter one and you read it like this. The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham, blah, 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 blah. Okay, verse 18, the birth of Jesus. Now we're getting somewhere. I don't know if you've had this kind of experience in this opening passage of Matthew, where you totally just skip over this genealogy of Jesus. Because to be honest, it kind of just feels a bit like filler. Right, and I hate filler. Like when I go to McDonald's and I get my Coke, I ask for no ice. I'm not paying you for frozen water. I want Coke because they just fill the thing up with just, and you get this like dribble of Coke in there. Like I, I, I hate that kind of filler. Um, or, or Doritos. Don't get me started on Doritos. And you get your packet of chips, and it's just filled with air. And you open it up, and it's like five chips in it. It's an incredible letdown. We got this package the other day, in, in, like parcel, and it was a big, big box. We opened, and I had to swim through the, 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 um, the, the foam packaging to find the item buried somewhere beneath. I, I hate filler. Maybe you, you, you can relate to this as well. Is that what Jesus, or rather Matthew, is doing here with this genealogy of Jesus. Does he have a word count, and he hasn't quite reached it yet, so I'm going to fill it in with these extra words. (laughs) I don't think so. You see, when we come to read any part of the Bible, we've got to be asking, well, here are two important questions. What is the significance of this text? And why has the author written it? Because they have, for a reason... And the Bible, if the Bible is God's word, then it's not just the author who has written and wanted this text there, but God himself, the ultimate author. And so if you ever find yourself thinking that a particular part of the Bible is boring or just a waste of space, then chances are it's you that haven't grasped how it fits into the bigger picture, how it's interwoven together into this one grand and fantastic story. And that's why we need to know our Bible as well, right? Because otherwise we will miss that the Bible is this, like a rich tapestry where God reveals himself and his plan for his people. And so it's true, God in his infinite wisdom, wanted Matthew to begin his gospel in this way, with a genealogy. Why? (laughs) Because Matthew wants to remind his readers that this story of Jesus does not actually start with his birth. It goes much further back. It goes back generations. It goes back thousands of years. And Matthew wants to use this genealogy to remind us, of who Jesus is. He is the promised King who has come. I don't know. Has anyone ever looked into their family history at all? Have you ever been curious by that? You've gone back. You've you've had questions. You have found out maybe you've done investigating. Has anyone actually done that? Anyone looked in their family history? Steve, any royalty in your family history? No, Connor. Does that a hand there? No, any royalty? No, no, okay, that was your goal to find royalty, but no, no royalty found. Um, you can trace my family um, back to just like the 1700s, not too long ago in the greatest scheme of things, England. Rachel's family, my wife, apparently you can go back to 989. That's where you can trace her family back to you, but no royalty either side, sad to say. But it, it's kind of why we are interested generally in family history, isn't it? Because there is a sense in which our roots Do tell us who we are, especially if there's royalty. (laughs) Have I got a claim to a throne, perhaps? You know, there's that TV show, you know, Who Do You Think You Are? Right? And uh, and they often do it with celebrities. They trace the the family trees of of celebrities and see what their family history is. Well, Matthew is doing his own episode here, and it's called Who Do You Think Jesus Is? But it's not for Jesus' benefit that he knows his family history. It's for the readers of Matthew's gospel. It's for their benefit. It's for our benefit. Now, there's a phrase, I'm not sure if you heard it. You, might, you can help me out here as fill in the blank at the end. Here's the phrase, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. There we go. Well, look, this is how Matthew begins his gospel. He certainly, I think, got these two, the first two things in mind something old something new look there at verse one with me and it begins with this the historical record of Jesus so Matthew he's setting Jesus in a historical context okay so what we're talking about here is not in the realm of mythology it's not make-believe it's not made-up stories just with a, a moral behind it no what we are talking about here is history things that have happened in time and place in our world, just as real as you are existing right here in in, in history. And so Matthew wants to remind us that as we keep reading through this gospel, and we're going to come across the birth of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and so forth, what we are reading is history. Matthew's helping us place it in history these things actually did happen and we're going to see the connections that everything that is happening here relating to Jesus we're going to see those connections with everything that has gone beforehand but here's the thing right if we are also familiar with our Old Testament then Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 should be ringing some bells with us as well, even from the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, because there, there's genealogies that start in the same way. Here's a couple. Genesis chapter 2, these are the records of the heavens and earth. Genesis 5, these are the family records of the descendants of Adam. See see the familiarity there? And I think this is deliberate from Matthew. So just as Genesis is giving us a story of a beginning, of creation, humanity, so Matthew is giving us a story of a new beginning. So yes, while there is this continuity between the Old Testament and to Jesus, there is also something profoundly groundbreaking with Jesus. So you see, yeah, like there's there's something old, right? There's links with everything beforehand. There's something new. There's something groundbreaking with Jesus. Well, what is this? Well, it's in the title that Matthew gives Jesus in verse one. Do you see it there? He is Jesus is the Christ. Now as we've already been reminded tonight right that the Christ that's that's not a surname for Jesus not Jesus Christ like you know Joe blogs right it's 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 a title it's more like Joe the postman Jesus the Christ that's what we're talking about here and, and the word Christ by the way uh, the word Christ is just the greek version of what the the hebrew word is messiah Okay, and so the word Messiah comes up in our, the Holman Bibles, uh, up in verse 16. And so you may come across those two words, in, depending on your, your English translation, and Christ and Messiah. They're the same thing. They're the same word. But, but what does it mean? Well, simply Christ, or Messiah, means anointed one. Anointed one. Here is one set apart by God for a special purpose. And yes, God does this for various people in the Old Testament. He does it with priests and prophets and kings. But there's always this anticipation building throughout the Old Testament. Like, kind of like a, a drum roll. We should get Jojo back up here doing the drum roll kind of thing again. But right, there's always this anticipation building. When is the Christ going to come? When is the anointed one, right, this, this specific king who would come and save God's people. And as you keep going through the Old Testament, it, kind of, it might in some ways start quietly, but then it gets sort of louder and louder and louder, and then, you know, who will it be? Like, when will they come? How will they come? How will they save God's people? And then with a crash of symbols, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And that's why it's a new beginning, because God's king has come and he brings God's kingdom. And remember, it's not as if sort of Jesus came along and he's like, oh, and he decided that he's gonna take, you know, he sees this job advertisement at seek.com. It's like, oh yeah, the Christ, I could feel that. I, could, I think I could do that. Oh, I'll give that a crack. Uh, not that at all. No, this has been God's plan from the beginning of time, that Jesus would be the Christ. But if Jesus is the Christ, then he has to be qualified, right? And you know how you can sort of put sometimes qualifications after your name? You know, you can have Joe Bloggs, Certificate Three in Childcare or whatever it is, Bachelor of Science, PhD, something else. Well, Matthew is doing the same thing here as well. What makes Jesus qualified as the Christ, as, as the Messiah, the King? It's this. See there in verse 1, it's that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. What makes Jesus qualified is it's in his blood. And the Jews that Matthew is primarily writing to, they need to know this, right? Because they're thinking, hey, if this Jesus is claiming to be the Christ, and Like we've got to know for sure. You've got to prove it, right? You've got to prove that he has been descended from Abraham, the father of all Jews. You've got to prove that he's descended from King David, you know, in the royal line. And so that's what Matthew does. You see that this genealogy is very, uh, very significant. It's very strategic in what Matthew is doing and how he wants to open up his gospel account. And by the way, this this genealogy, it's through Joseph's line. And of course, you might know that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. But even as one who has adopted uh, Jesus, uh, and so Jesus becomes the adopted son of Joseph. Jesus still has the legal right to David's throne. But anyway, like the, the genealogy, it also actually comes up in Luke's gospel, and that seems to be through Mary's line. And so Jesus is still related to David and to Abraham by blood, anyway. So it's just covering all bases there. The thing is, though, like what makes Jesus the Christ, God's King, is not that he's merely descended from David and And Abraham, because I mean, all those other people are as well. Do they all claim to be the Christ? No. It's how Jesus fulfills the promises that God has made. The promises God has made to David. The promises God has made to Abraham. And so as we keep pulling the threads, we see that there is so much more to this incredible tapestry, isn't there? Who Jesus is. What an amazing thing it is that the king has indeed come. Okay, so look, God has made some promises to King David. Uh, Anyone got an idea? Where would you go in the Bible? What chapter of the Bible in the Old Testament would you go to read of the promises God made to King David? i have give you a bit of a hint on your, your handout in the sermon outline there. What chapter of the Bible? It's something in Samuel. Shout it out for me if you've got an idea. 2 Samuel 7, I'll take that as, uh, yes, half points to How. Hal, half points to, to Connor there. 2 Samuel 7, and look, that might just sound like a random sort of bunch of numbers or name there. That is such a key passage, it's such a key chapter in, in the Bible and God's unfolding plan. So lock in your minds, 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's with uh, King David, we're talking about a thousand years before Jesus. We're going to have King David come up in a moment here. Uh, there we go. Uh, There's David, thousand years before Jesus. Uh, The the nation of Israel has just become a monarchy. Uh, King David, he wants to build a house, a, a, a temple for God. But this is what God says to David through the prophet Nathan. This comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord himself will make a house for you, David. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And it continues but my faithful love will never leave him. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Now that's an impressive promise, isn't it? I'm sure King Charles would have loved that kind of promise about his his rule and his descendants perhaps. But as you keep reading these parts of the Old Testament, you might be... You know, it might be fair to think that this all gets fulfilled in David's immediate son, Solomon. And and it is to an extent, right? I mean, Solomon, he is the one who does actually build the house, the temple for God. And it's under his wise leadership that Israel has never looked better. But even great Solomon falls. He starts worshipping foreign gods and a whole bunch of other stuff. So look, perhaps Israel's hope doesn't lie in Solomon, but maybe in... Well, let's try Solomon's son, Rehoboam. We came across him. But no, no, the kingdom divides under Rehoboam. It's kind of starting to go downhill, isn't it? Or how about Rehoboam's son, Abijah? No. We're getting worse with him. He's even upside down. Look, no, look, we're told he's just, he just does all this sort of stuff, whatever's evil in the Lord's sight. That's what's spoken about uh, Abijah. And time and time again, these kings that come after them, these sons of David, they never measure up anything close to the promised king. And so Israel as a nation, they plummet towards rock bottom, they end up in exile, and even when they turn from exile and from Babylon, they're under the Persian rule, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and it's a quite a depressing read in some ways. And so you can see, right, that as the, the Old Testament people of Israel, why they would have had such a longing and such a hope for when a son of David would actually come. And would come and overthrow their enemies and establish an everlasting kingdom. But here Matthew says, Israel, you know that son of David that you've been waiting for for thousands of years? He's come. He's come. And you keep reading through Matthew's gospel and we will see that yes, Jesus is the beloved son of the Father. That he is perfectly obedient to the Father. That he's the one who will restore God's people. He is the one who defeated their greatest enemy. And we're ta- not talking about the Romans. We're talking about sin. And he does that by his death and his resurrection. We read about how his body is the temple. Not something built of, of, of stone, but his body. And we read that he will establish a heavenly kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. So yes, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is the hope of Israel, the Old Testament people of God. Which, by the way, as I just you know, with a lot of things you might read in the news and hear in the news, let's not get those two confused, right? The modern state of Israel, established in 1948, that political kind of entities, that's not that's not the same thing as what we're talking about here, in the Israel, uh, the people of God in the Bible. I mean, it, it, it's good for, this is all good for the Jews to know, right? But, but what about us? What about us? You see, the promises God made to Abraham uh, remind us that Jesus is not only the hope to Israel. He's also the hope to the nations. And that's us. So again, okay, here's a question for you. Where would you go in the Bible? What chapter of the Bible would you go if you want to find out the promises that God has made to Abraham? Shout it out for us. Genesis 12, that's a great one, Team Micah and Hal. Good one there. Genesis 12 there. So here we are, um, even another thousand years before King David. Uh, 2,000 years before Jesus, and God makes this promise. Let me spring it up on the screen, Genesis 12. Here's just a couple of verses from it. I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, right from the beginning, God promised that through Abraham's offspring, he wouldn't just bless Israel. He would bless all the nations. And don't we see that, actually, as we keep going through Matthew's gospel again? We come to uh, how Jesus, the son of Abraham, he is blessing the nations. At the very end of the gospel, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commands his apostles. He says, you know, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Tell them the good news. Tell them the gospel. Tell them that anyone can find salvation in me. Go to the nations. And so, yeah, look, Matthew's readers we're primarily jews but this genealogy is just as important for us because Jesus Christ the son of david son of abraham is our hope as well and the apostle paul he knew this i mean listen to what he wrote in galatians chapter 3 verses 6 to 9 just as abraham believed god and it was credited to him for righteousness then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, right? People from the nations. He would justify them by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. You see, if we trust in the promises of God, that they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then, then we ourselves, we become sons, we become daughters, we become children of Abraham. I mean, you might know how the song goes, right? Father Abraham has many sons, you know, and many kids has father, that one, right? Like We become the children of Abraham. We become his children, not physically, it's not by blood, but spiritually, by faith. And it's through Jesus Christ, we receive the blessing that God has promised. And so this genealogy of Jesus is pretty impressive, isn't it? Son of David, son of Abraham. And if you read your Bibles, these guys, David, Abraham, so forth, they're like the heroes of the faith. Yeah? I mean, these are the ones God has made these great promises to. But also, if you read in your Bible, you also know that David and Abraham were far from perfect, right? Like, they were flawed, and they screwed up in some pretty pretty serious ways. In fact, if you take a closer look at this family tree of Jesus, it is loaded with shady people, okay? I don't know if you've ever had a look in your own family tree again, or... Or you found that and where you think, really? I can't believe I'm related to that person. No, no, no way. I'm not descended from that person. Okay? And, and if you have a parent here, don't look at them and go, I can't believe I'm descended from you. You no. You see, like, apparently on my mum's side, I have an, an ancestor, William Henry Jeffrey. Uh, and get this, he, he was a convict. Okay? And you read that and you go, what? Like... I, Convict blood? I've got convict blood in me? Criminal blood? No, no way. I mean, Aussies these days tend to be quite, quite proud if they've got convict blood uh, in them. But it's true. 1825, William Henry Jeffrey stole a silver spoon and got transported to Australia. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, it's actually nothing compared to my great-grandfather, still on my mum's side. Uh, his name was John Ingram. Uh, John, Johnny Boy. I'm actually um, actually a bit ashamed to say it. Uh, he, John Ingram, he was from New Zealand. <sighs> I know, it, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to come out sometimes, you know. But look, for Jesus' genealogy, there are shady people all the way through it. And you think Matthew, like with this family tree, that he would get out the pruning sort of shears and do a bit of pruning to this family tree. No, no, we can't have the the family line of Jesus having that person in there. What are people going to think? Let's just cut them out. Oh, that person? No, let's cut them out too. Uh, No, he doesn't do that. And yet we read through Isaac is a liar, Jacob he's devious Judah is an adulterer we can go on and then we got all these different kings Solomon he can't decide how many women he wants and he ends up worshipping false gods anyway and then we seem to have a series of evil kings and yes some are a little bit better than others but still it's not a pretty picture and then we get this other bunch of of, of surprising and unlikely people particularly these uh, these uh, several women in there which In and of itself, that is actually a surprising thing to feature in that kind of uh, genealogy genealogy from that day and age to include women in someone's genealogy, and yet here they are. Tamar, verse 3, she sleeps with Judah after pretending to be a prostitute uh, and then is proven to be more righteous than him as the story unfolds. A bit of a a funny kind of story there. Rahab, verse 5, she's the prostitute in the city of Jericho. Right, so she's, she's not a, 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 a Hebrew or Jewish uh, descent herself. Uh, she's from that, that city, that nation. And she helps the Israelite people, the Israelite spies, come and achieve victory over Jericho. Uh, Ruth, uh, she's a Moabite. Uh, she's from one of those countries, Moab. And uh, Moab, they are responsible for some of Israel's greatest pain in the Old Testament. And then we've got Bathsheba, verse 6, and she's just called Uriah's wife. And she's the one who commits adultery with King David. And look, these are just some of the surprising and unlikely people that Jesus is descended from, uh, from uh, from Abraham. You know, it's, it's an unlikely history, you might think. But it is what makes it human. Jesus comes from a real human line pimples and all right but I mean should this be surprising after all again if we keep and as we will keep reading through Matthew's gospel isn't it the most unlikely and surprising of people that Jesus shows great love for the outcast, the diseased the prostitutes the tax collectors the sinners the I mean in the end Shouldn't we all be just as unlikely to receive God's love, considering how we've treated Him? We are all the sinners. God knows how shady I am. And yet, He loves us still. I mean, hear me when I say this. No one is too shady for God to save. No one is too dirty too far gone not me not you i mean look at jesus own family you see this is what this genealogy has to show us here's a couple of things firstly even jesus own family needed saving from their sin like us they needed to be redeemed and secondly that god would keep his promises despite this family family line That just proves God's faithfulness. It's not because they are worthy, it's because God keeps His word. You wouldn't think that any number of, any one of those generations, God would have just gone, forget this. Let's just forget the whole thing, right? But He doesn't, because He's faithful. He's made promises. He's a promise making God. He's a promise keeping God. So, how's He done this specifically? Well, let's return to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 look at this one here when the time came to completion god sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem to buy back those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father so, you are no longer a slave, but a son, a child of God. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, this is the wonderful thing, right? Jesus has come to redeem Abraham. Jesus has come to redeem Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and Rahab and David and Bathsheba and Mary and Joseph. He's come to redeem Israel. In fact, he's come to redeem all of the nations. He's come to redeem you and me. This is why the king has come. The question is will you accept? Will you receive what he's done for you? You see, as we trust in the promises of God, this is how we are blessed. Because we not only become children of Abraham, we become children of God. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Yeah? Through Jesus Christ, we are adopted into a new family and we can call God Father. You can call the God of the universe Father, <laughs> your loving Father. And we not only become children of him, we become co-heirs. You think, yes, Jesus, he's the king. He's the heir of the kingdom. But if we are adopted into his family, then we become co-heirs along with Jesus of God's everlasting kingdom. Heirs. Isn't it incredible? <laughs> A new family. You see, this genealogy, it's not filler whatsoever, is it? See, Matthew is not only here, he's not only telling us who Jesus is. He's getting us ready to respond to the King who has come. So let me pray now. Let me pray for what we've heard tonight. Let me pray as we continue in this time in Matthew's Gospel. And I'm also going to pray in light of the, the song we are about to sing and pray. So band, come and join me up in front. But join me in prayer now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plan over generations, over centuries over, millennia, to see your son, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, the King, come. Come to, to save us. Come to bring true blessing and hope to the world. And th- thank you, Father, that through him, we are adopted into a new family, a new family tree that we have, that by faith in the promises you have made, you have made us your children. You have made us heirs of the kingdom. We thank you, Father, for your love, that we are indeed the people of God through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing